This is A to Z with Mark Zinno, part of Locked On Sports Atlanta, and it starts now. Good afternoon. Welcome to A to Z here on Locked On Sports Atlanta, where today I tell you it's a strange place to be. Welcome in. We are live here on this Monday and appreciate you guys joining us after what I hope was a wonderful weekend. Give us a follow on Twitter at Locked On ATL. Of course, I'm at Mark Zinno, M A R K Z I N N O. A lot to get to with Falcons minicamp starting this week. An interesting response from the PGA to the Live Tour. And a whole lot more on this Monday edition. But let's start today with winners of 11 in a row, the Atlanta Braves. And can I also start with a little, I told you so dance. Told you, told you, told you, told you. Uh, yeah, June 15th, they would be above 500. Uh, with them being officially seven games above 500 after this weekend series. Uh, they will not be below 500 on June 15th. They will be above it. So now I will do my victory lap. I told you so. Victory lap around. I told you so. God, I'm tired of being right. Anyway, uh, what it, it's what has happened with this team has been the perfect combination of hitting, you know, good pitching, uh, a, a solid bullpen. It's kind of like the way the team was designed to put together and what we expected them to be from the beginning of the year. And look, the winning streak is going to come to an end at some point, right? And I, and I honestly believe it's going to come to an end here during the next during this national series, but. You know, there is a sense of they've kind of found their way now, okay? Uh, and they needed to do so, and they got it right. And lo and behold, you know, uh, the Braves are now back into a position where fans feel a lot more comfortable. And the strange place to be is, I guess, Braves Twitter or Braves fandom. Oh, my God. It's unreal. And it's even some of the media members in this town, like, some of the folks who were screaming, panicking week one of the season. Oh, it doesn't look good. Oh, no, well, maybe we need to make some changes. Oh, God. <clears throat> I got an idea. Let's let's package Spencer Strider and Adam Duvall for somebody. I mean, the ridiculousness of things that were happening at the beginning of the year uh, and even towards the end of the month of April when I kept telling people, relax, relax. It's going to be okay. They're going to figure this out. They're too good now. Remember remember there was a sentiment, maybe the Braves clubhouse needs an A-hole. Remember that one? Who's the A-hole during the 11-game win streak? I'm curious. I, I don't know who the A-hole was. Uh, I don't know that anybody stepped up to say, hey, I'm an A-hole. By the way, usually that's my job. But anyway, we digress. So all these things and all these suppositions that happened, they just needed to start playing better, and they have. It was a simple closed-door meeting. We talked about it last week. Brian Snicker spoke to the team, and everybody seemed to get right, and they look like they're a lot better. And here we are 11 games later, undefeated in the month of June. Yay. Um, and, you know, one of the biggest things that has really set this whole thing off is Ronald Acuna and what he has done um, offensively has changed what the rest of this lineup does. You know, and that's really what what everybody needs to kind of acknowledge that his presence. And I was one of the people who was not trying to rush him back, right? Like I was saying, you don't need to rush him back. Don't rush him back. He's he's good. You know, let 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 him go, chill. I mean, you know, Ronald Acuna, 
and let's just look at this objectively. You know, when he came back in May, okay, he batted 292 and he only hit two home runs and he only stole seven bases. I mean, he had a good OBP of 411, but what has he done in the month of June in this 11 game win streak? He's batting 368. You know, he's got four home runs. He's slugging 737. His OBP is 457. His OPS is 1,193. I mean, it's just, a, it's he's an entirely different player. And he's part of the reason why this whole thing has happened. Uh, and I think he's only not reached base in, I'm looking at it right now, in one of the games during this 11 game win streak. Right? I think he's, he's not reached base only. He's walked there. Well, yeah, only one game, a game in Colorado. He has not reached base during this uh this streak so ronald acuna on base equals more runs which equals better team which equals a whole lot of other things here we are the other thing i told you guys that is paramount to remember is that when the braves were you know 12 and 15 and people were still panicking and it was like oh but there's seven and a half games out of first place oh Braves actually fell to 10 and a half games out of first place. And what did I tell you then? Folks, the Mets are playing better than 700 baseball. They were playing 710, winning 71% of their games. I told you they would come back to earth. And they have. They're currently playing 640 baseball. Now, that may not seem like a bad drop-off because it goes from 710 to 640. But guess what? That 7% is kind of huge. And what has happened here is that along the way, the Braves have managed to pick up five games. They're five and a half out now, and nobody's panicking. Why? Because you don't have to. Uh, because I told you the Mets were going to come back to earth. And the Bra and look, an 11-game winning streak is not common. You're not going to get another one of these this year. And even if you're one nine out of the last 11, if you timed your losses right and you lost when the Mets lost, guess what? You're probably still six and a half games out, right? Like, it's just what it is. So uh, you don't have to win 11 in a row, but you do got to win 7 out of 10 sometimes, 6 out of 10, 7 out of 10. You got to do that. You know, you got to win most series, and, and that's what the Braves have done. And the doubters and the skeptics to me, and this is where Braves Twitter comes in, are just absolutely laughable. Oh, they did it against the worst teams in the league. It was against Colorado, stinks, Oakland's terrible, Pittsburgh sucks. And... You know what the Braves didn't decide to do? Play these three teams in the first week of June. That was predetermined before they threw a ball in spring training that those are the teams they were playing this month. Predetermined. So I don't know what anybody is supposed to be upset about that should beat up on bad teams. That's what good teams are supposed to do. Oh, wait till they play some good teams. They will. After they get through the Nats and the Cubs. They'll get the Dodgers, or the Giants, the Dodgers, and the Phillies. Okay. They'll play good teams. It'll be okay. And guess what? If you beat up on the bad teams, and you, you play 700 ball against them, and you play a little bit better than 500 against the good teams, uh, you'll make the playoffs. You'll probably win your division. Because if you do the math there, that, went, that works out to about 65%. So like 70% to 55% get you somewhere in the middle, about 63%. Go look at the standings in Major League Baseball right now. The teams that are in first place, oh, Dodgers, 61%. Oh, Cardinals, 55%. Oh, Mets, 64%. Oh, Astros, 61%. Oh, Twins, 
You play 60% baseball, you're playing 600 baseball, you're going to be in first place. You're going to the playoffs. Don't count the Yankees. What they're doing is abnormal right now. They're winning 73% of their games. It's nuts. It's insane. And let's remember one other mark here, one other measuring stick between the Braves and the Mets that I think is important for fans to remember and acknowledge. Because I said repeatedly that, you know, the problem with this Braves team was the lineup. The problem with this Braves team was that they weren't hitting the ball. They weren't mashing uh, like they were supposed to. And they're starting to come around. But in reality, the Mets pitching staff, for all their bravado, for all their big names, for all their big arms, they've given up 250 runs this year. Anyone want to take a stab at what the Braves have given up? 253. They're there with them pitching-wise. Now, if you're asking me at this point in time which lineup I'd rather have, the Braves or the Mets, yeah, I'd lean on the Braves. <laughs> that Acuna guy's pretty good. The depth of the Braves lineup overall. I mean, Mets hit the ball. You know, they've scored the most runs in the National League this year. So it's not like they're not scoring runs. In fact, they've scored the most runs in baseball. More than the Yankees. So I don't think that will continue. But I don't, I don't, I necessarily don't think the Mets have all the horses that are going to, you know, as they say, play to the back of the baseball card uh, all season long. So I don't think that's going to happen for them either. They're fine. And I told you they were going to be fine. So I'll continue my victory lap dance all I want because the Braves are fine. This is a good team. It's well managed. It's well coached. They have enough talent. Pump the brakes. All right, we get back. Uh, let's look towards the Falcons mini camp, mandatory mini camp coming up. And what is Deion Jones still doing on the roster? We'll answer that question coming up next right here on A to Z on Locked On Sports Atlanta, free on YouTube and wherever you get your podcast, you search Locked On Sports Atlanta. Welcome back to A to Z here on Locked On Sports Atlanta, free on YouTube and wherever you get your podcast, you search Locked On Sports Atlanta. Again, give us a follow on Twitter at Locked On ATL. I'm at Mark Zino, M-A-R-K-Z-I-N-N-O. Make sure you subscribe to our YouTube channel. Give it a like, a thumbs up, all that good stuff. And please share all the content that you see on there. Of course, check out all the shows here on Locked On Sports Atlanta after A to Z, hitting hard with John Chuckery, ATL Day Ones with Jarvis Davis and Tanitra Batiste. Don't forget about our Braves postcast after every Braves game, as well as Locked On Falcons and Locked On Hawks. Great crew here. We appreciate all the love and support that you guys have been giving us since we kicked off here back in the beginning of April. It's been a ton of fun. All right. Uh, speaking of kicking off, Falcons mandatory minicamp will start tomorrow. Uh, I will be out at Flowery Branch tomorrow and on Wednesday. So uh, we will get the, the two days of media availability as they have the three-day camp here. The mandatory mini camp, Arthur Smith said he expects everybody to be in attendance. There's no reason anybody shouldn't show up to this thing. How much they may practice or how much they may actually do is a different conversation. But one of the players that's expected to be there, obviously, is Deion Jones. And again, with him recovering from a surgery, um, this is a player that's probably not going to be featured at all during camp. I mean, he'll be there. You might, you're, you likely won't see him out on the field in any size, way, shape, or form. And the question is, we talked so much leading up to June 1st about when Deion Jones would be released, let go, cut, whatever it may be, traded. And we're now sitting here on uh, June 13th, and Deion Jones still on the roster. Uh, and part of that is, is simply that the Falcons have no real rush to cut him at this point, um, you know, them cutting him now, uh, doing it on June 2nd, doing it on June 13th, or doing it on August 1st, nets the same result for them. Dead cap money, player gone, no compensation in return. So there's no reason for them to rush to get rid of him. 
clearly he's not going to be part of anything that they're going to do. I mean, again, I know he's injured right now and he's not out there, uh, but if you haven't seen him at anything of note so far to this point in the season, and when you got a guy like Grady Jarrett who just chose to extend on a losing team uh, and a losing franchise to come back here and he is still showing up, it's kind of inexcusable that any lesser player, particularly in the defensive side of the ball, chooses not to show up, right? Like that's um, that's that that speaks volume. And, and you're not going to see him worked into a lot of things because I don't think he's part of their plans. I think they know one way or another whether they – uh, whether they they decide to trade him or cut him or whatever, they're not planning on him being one of the linebackers starting the year. I know what the depth chart says. I know where he is right now, but that, that really doesn't matter. Uh, and once we get to training camp itself, my guess is he'll be gone by training camp, the very latest, that is. Uh, if they can find a trade partner for him, if somebody gets hurt during the, these mini camps or whatever, where a team is looking for some added depth and is willing to give up any compensation at this point, I'm sure the Falcons would do it. More than anything, I think the Falcons would love to have uh, some salary cap relief from him. If they cut him, they save a million bucks. They're going to have $18 million and change dead. Uh, if they if he's here and he's playing, it's $20 million against the cap. So you're saving roughly a million and change. It's no big difference. The difference is, is that, well, you know, you have more dead cap money and less room to get somebody. If, if somebody picks up some of the Falcons' salary for Deion Jones, when they go to replace Deion Jones, they'll at least have some money to play with. Um, and so that I think is the utmost importance to them and what they're waiting for. Uh, they might not even want draft pay compensation. They may just want the salary cap relief in the short term. And who knows? I mean, I would rather have the draft pay compensation. You have 60 some on million in dead cap. What's another 18 at this point? Go for it all, man. I mean, go, go for the record. You may as well. So, uh, let's, let's see where this all goes. But I think, again, we have some time to wait on Dion and what the situation is going to be and how it's going to be resolved. Uh, after minicamp, you're going to get this huge dead period before you get to the end of July, and that's about the best you're going to be able to do uh, once training camp kicks off. So I would expect by the time the last week in July rolls around, they'll have some level of resolution on this one way or another. And every team in a league who may be interested in him may absolutely know. We just wait it out. They'll cut him. They'll cut him. And if they cut him, he gets to choose where he wants to go. And maybe that's what Dion Jones ultimately wants is to be able to choose where he wants to play football next. So, again, wait and see. Uh, I am going to reiterate his stance here. Uh, after uh, the, one of the OTAs, the ones at Mercedes-Benz Stadium, uh, Arthur Smith said something to uh, my good friend Michael Rossi of ESPN.com, who covers the Falcons, um, in reference to Kyle Pitts, that I, I am going to hold to a hard, fast line. You're going to hear me repeat this from now through the end of the season, and I'm going to scream it as loud as I possibly can repeatedly, so get ready for me to be annoying. If I'm not already annoying, get ready for it. Uh, Arthur Smith, talking about Kyle Pitts, said, quote, he's not facing the unknown, right? You see Kyle, you saw him progress through last season, and I've said it many times, he's just scratching the surface. Well, as Mike Rothstein points out, the surface last year, 68 catches, 1,026 yards, a touchdown and a Pro Bowl appearance, only the second rookie tight end ever to eclipse 1,000 yards behind Mike Ditka, who ended up in the uh, Pro Football Hall of Fame as the first tight end ever inducted there. Now, I'm not supposing that Kyle Pitts is going to be inducted to the Hall of Fame. What I am supposing is what I've said all offseason long. I will not give Kyle Pitts a pass, and I will not give Arthur Smith a pass for him not exceeding 120 targets this year. 
it's inexcusable. If he's just scratched the surface, it is on the head coach to dig deeper in those scratches, get below the surface, and find out really how good Kyle Pitts can be. If you don't do it, it's poor coaching. It's derelict. Uh, it is it is wanton, uh, uh, you know, coaching and and reckless. There's no other way to describe it. And the fact that Arthur Smith is willing to publicly say this, that he's just scratched the surface, guess what, coach? It's on you to make sure you keep scratching. That's ultimately what this all boils down to. There's no way around it. None. So I'm not giving him a pass, and you shouldn't either. Now, I understand there may be a game out there where he only gets two targets, um, and that's fine. It's going to happen. But from an average standpoint, over the this has been this got better be a guy who's getting eight to nine targets a game. That's where the numbers need to be. Eight to nine targets per game. I understand games ebb and flow, and not everything is the same, and that's okay. I will be very angry after those games, and I'll look at it and go, see, they didn't throw the ball enough. That's why I didn't get any points. Didn't get the ball to pits enough. Again, that's a blanket statement, but still, you get the point where, where I'm going with all this. Kyle Pitts has got to get the ball routinely. If he is the best player on this offense, and he was drafted fourth overall for that reason, and Arthur Smith is building an offense around a tight end, which is something nobody ever does, and you got to force the ball into his hands. You don't have a choice. That's what the future of this offense is. You've acknowledged it. You've said it out loud. You told us that. Now you got to execute it. All right, coming up next, a very curious response from the PGA commissioner on the latest with the live tour and everything that's gone on. You'll hear some of his comments and, well, get ready to go to war, golf fans. It's coming up. That's next right here on ADZ on Locked On Sports Atlanta, free on YouTube. And wherever you get your podcast, you search Locked On Sports Atlanta. Welcome back to ADZ here on Locked On Sports Atlanta, free on YouTube. And wherever you get your podcast, search Locked On Sports Atlanta. Wrapping things up here on this Monday as uh, we have hit full summer here. Uh, in in Atlanta. It is a hot one today. It's going to be a hot one this week, and I love it. I absolutely love it. Bring on the heat. Uh, speaking of heat, we do it every single day. We throw our own little heat, an version of heat called Shovels of Wisdom. Brace yourselves, because it's time for the Shovel of Wisdom. And you know how we do it every single day. We like to whack somebody upside the head for doing or saying something stupid. And you can do so as well on my Twitter account, at Mark Zeno. Just use the hashtag Shovel of Wisdom. And today my shovel goes to Joe Madden. You guys know Joe Madden, don't you? Former Angels manager, Joe Madden. Yeah, you know, they were losing a lot of games, the Angels. Uh, and in order to sort of pick them up out of their slump, and get them smiling again and not feel bad about all the losing that had been going on, Joe Madden decided that he was going to spark some fun. And he was going to do so by shaving a mohawk into his head. Yeah, almost. I mean, listen, there's nothing funnier than a 68-year-old man with a mohawk. It would certainly loosen me up, to say the least. Well, Angels players never actually got to see the Mohawk because, well, Joe Madden got fired <laughs> right after 
he did the mohawk, not knowing he was going to be fired. And he could never even get it to be shown through the rest of his team. So, uh, yeah. Well, the 14-game losing streak eventually did end, uh, not because of Joe Madden's mohawk, but just because, well, you know, eventually you win games in baseball, even the really, really bad teams. So uh, that, that's another thing you need to know about, you know, putting your head into a mohawk, man, uh, especially when you're 68. I wonder if he kept it, though. I mean, that's the other thing. You got to wonder. Maybe he just said, leave it. I'll just leave it in, see what happens. He just shaved the whole thing off at that point in time. I don't think it's that. I look for a picture on the internet, too. I don't, I, I've yet to see a picture of it. So if anybody sees one, send it to my Twitter account at Mark Zenoman. We can all have a laugh together. Speaking of laughs, uh, I'm laughing at the PGA Tour and, and PGA Tour Commissioner Jay Monahan. Um, we talked about this last week. Like, I get it that the PGA is now between a rock and a hard place with all these players defecting to the live tour. Um, but it was at the RBC Canadian Open on Sunday, which Roy McIlroy won. Um, I had a sh- shot of 62 in the final round. Uh, and then proceeded to take a not-so-subtle jab at Greg Norman by pointing out that it was the 21st tour win for Roy McIlroy. That's one more than Greg Norman. But that wasn't the real story. It was kind of funny and cute. And he kind of you know, gave the smile and the wink. And uh, he knew exactly what he was doing when he said it. But it was Jay Monahan who made his first public comments since suspending the 17 players in the Rival Live Golf International Series. Uh, and, you know, the reasoning, I, again, I still understand it, because you can't not do anything if you're the PGA. You have to respond. But what you didn't have to do is punish. You can incentivize players to stay in other ways. You can incentivize players to come back in other ways without threatening them. Uh, and Monahan seemed resolute in the position that he took, and then more so tried to make it sound like what the PGA has is a better offer than what the Live Golf Series has. Take a listen. Those players have chosen to sign multi-year lucrative contracts to play in a series of exhibition matches against the same players over and over again. You look at that versus what we see here today. And that's why they need us so badly. You've got true, pure competition. The best players in the world here at the RBC Canadian Open. I mean, look, they don't need you. That's the thing. Um, They have chosen to sign lucrative contracts because the Saudi tour, for lack of a better term, is offering them life-changing money. This is a monetary decision, Jay. It's nothing more. It's not about necessarily winning. It's not about competition. It's about money. These guys know that they can compete with the best players in the world. They're not worried about that. What they would like is some competition for their time. If you don't make the cut at an event on the PGA Tour, you know what you get? Nothing. Nada. Zilch. Zero. Maybe use that as an, an incentive to keep these players here to stay. Like maybe that's what you need to do. Maybe that is the way to go and figure out a way to pay everybody. And some of these fringe players on tour who desperately need to make cuts just to be able to, to stay on tour, cover their travel expenses and everything else that they have going on. They don't have huge sponsorship deals and they don't have Nike and everybody else and, and, and Titleist and, and, you know, foot joy, whatever the heck it is, you know, throwing money at them all over the place. 
So they need money. Figure out a way to incentivize those guys to stay because them taking a paycheck to play pressure-free golf is a hell of a lot better. I'm here for the fight. I really am. I'm curious to see how this plays out. I'm going to enjoy this as a spectator on the sidelines, trying to figure out how the PGA is going to dissect this all and what they're going to do, especially since um, everybody who joined the Live Tour is allowed to play in the U.S. Open coming up. Like I said, if they can play in three of the four majors, what really does PGA Tour have to hold over them? Nothing. So incentivize them to stay. I'm doing the old school, I'm in charge, look at me, you follow my rules kind of deal, and start doing the smart thing and go, okay, how do we make it better for these players? How do we, how do we become more player friendly? How do we figure out ways to get them to stay here as opposed to wanting to leave? Because, again, it's not that, that you offer money and the Saudis offer more money. It's that you offer nothing and the Saudis offer something. That's the critical difference which you're not understanding. You might be able to have people loyal to, hey, man, this is comfortable. Um, I'm okay with this. But for the live tour, for them to sign up there, they play less events, they get more money, they have more weekends at home with their wives and their families and their kids and everything else. It's easy. It's an easy decision for them. And you're making it easier on them by punishing them. There's no reason for them to come back. And would you even accept them back? I mean, like, You've created this divisiveness because players chase money. Guess what professional athletes have done since the beginning of professional athletism? Chased money. I just made up a word there. That's fine. But the point simply is, since professional athletes have been being paid, they've chased more money routinely. I mean, heck, that's what the whole Black Sox scandal was about. Them getting more money. Kamisky wouldn't pay the White Sox players more money, so what'd they do? Oh, they tried to fix the gambling thing. You get more money. It's, it's not an uncommon thing for professional athletes to want more money. Figure it out, PGA Tour. Because what you're doing right now ain't the answer. We guarantee you that much. All right, that'll do it for us today. Back tomorrow, Tuesday, Falcons mini camp, locked and loaded right here. On A to Z. Appreciate, appreciate you guys making A to Z your first listen every single day. Make sure you check out the rest of the shows here on Locked On Sports Atlanta. Hitting Harder, John Chuckery, ATL, Day Winch, Jarvis, Davis, Anthony, Batiste. We will talk to you guys tomorrow. Have a great day. Don't take a crap, anybody.